Welcome to Drunk on Comics, episode 267. Tony here, bringing you a special edition of the podcast. Unlike our normal episodes that we have each week where we kind of have the same format, sometimes we'll do something a little bit different and bring you some extra goodness for your earbuds to listen to. This week, I was able to sit down with two of my cousins that were at E3 this past week. We have first-hand knowledge of what they were able to interact with, some of the games that they got hands-on experience with, and just overall their time spent at this expo that really needed to be recorded. And I had originally planned on just talking to them for about a couple minutes and was going to splice this into our normal podcast. However, we end up talking for half an hour. We could have kept going long, but uh, as you will hear with the background and everything, we were at a family function. It sounded kind of like a convention in the background, and because of that, we could have done even more. I'm sure I'm going to pick their brains for a lot more uh, nerdy knowledge of the convention. But uh, with that, I decided that why not make this its own little thing. So about a half an hour long here in this one. If you do hear mention of splicing this into the other one, well, that's because that was the original intention until we found out that we had a half an hour and why not put this as a separate post. So with that, uh, hopefully you enjoy getting to hear two, uh, two people and their experience at E3 and hopefully more people decide to start attending this now that it's open for the public. Uh, So with that, sit back and enjoy Drunk on Comics, episode 267, E3 from the Ground Floor. to interrupt the normal podcast that we have, but I was able to sit down at a family function with uh, two of my cousins that we had talked about previously in this episode uh, about their adventures at E3. So kind of wanted to just throw this somewhere within the podcast. I thought about throwing it at the end, but I figured since me, Linz, and Josh were talking about E3 and we now have firsthand knowledge of, of it, throw this in. So I am with my cousin Nick and my cousin Tristan. Hello. And uh, guys, tell me about it. Yeah, so E3 was really uh, something. It was both over or underwhelming and a bit uh, more than I thought it'd be, too. So usually they've got about 10,000 journalists there. Now they added another 15,000 public uh, to the whole mix. the lines weren't nearly as bad as any Comic-Con, but you'd still be waiting about two hours to get into your big AAA titles like Mario Odyssey there. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. The, the scale of it is is just enormous. Uh, like, you walk into a room, and the only thing you can see is, like, a 30-foot-tall logo for one company. And there was, on a multiple occasions, I actually... Because um, all of these companies have basically boxed in so that you can kind of see their logo from every direction... And there were a few times when I like got out of like the little like Microsoft complex they had, like the Ubisoft complex, essentially. 
and I realized like, oh, there's an entire another like section of the room that I just couldn't even see behind these enormous like sets. You know, and there's everything from uh, just a single logo that said Microsoft or Nintendo to like the inside of the Nintendo booth was an entire city, basically with like there was a fountain and like there was um, entire like uh, buildings set up around the side. Some of them actually were functional where you go in and they'd have sub things. Um, but it was just like everything was done like to the highest degree they could with what they had available and uh, it was just like everything was enormous now how's the layout because i've gone to many comic book conventions where it is one grand area and there are side rooms with panels really not a lot of side rooms with other things going on i mean there may be an arcade room here or there but it is just a giant ground floor plan of shops and artists and everything but i had to imagine this has different hubs that have, you know, Microsoft, PlayStation, everything. Was there a central corridor, or how did that work? So, it was more a series of concentric circles. You'd walk in the front door, there's an entrance, and the first thing you'll see at uh, West Hall is you'll see all your gaming journalists. You'll see your IGN, your GameStop, uh, sorry, GameSpot. Don't want to confuse those two. Um, and then you'll get farther in, you'll get to your main... Uh, publishers, your EA, your Ubisoft, Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony. Farther to the periphery, you'll see something like, uh, par personally, some of our favorite, the VR tech demos, some of the stuff you'd see at CES. Uh, farther back, you'd just see companies advertising themselves, trying to recruit people. Uh, if you went over to the far left, you'd get to where you're purchasing your memorabilia, what have you, your souvenirs you take back. They've had live bands playing. Uh, it was disorganized, but luckily they gave you an app so you could still find your way around to exactly where you had to be. And honestly, the show was so extraordinary. Uh, you wouldn't be disappointed no matter what direction you went in. No, absolutely not at all. Um, and... The, the, the macro structure of it, there was essentially two major halls that were just kind of connected by one hallway. Um, and it wasn't like a indie over there, AAA over there. It was very much so just the convention happened and they split it down the center. And it was just like Microsoft was at one of the halls and there was Ubisoft with them and there was uh, like Bandai Namco. And then you had a variety of smaller, you know, quote, smaller whatever that means at that scale. Um, but then on the opposite end, you'd have, like, Nintendo was right next to Sony, which was right next to um, Final Fantasy. It had, like, its own macro section and stuff. Um, and then you'd have, uh, obviously, things filling in around those. I mean, everything as small as just, like, a 10 by 10 square of also big, exciting things. Like, did you ever find the, uh, the Mega Man, like, little corner they had with a bunch of Mega Man arcade Oh, yeah. Kids? And it's, like, it was literally behind like in an alley between two super structures. And I was just like, oh, it's Mega Man. I'm going to go play that. Yeah, there were really three things that they covered here. They had, obviously, your big new hype releases, and that's what a lot of people are showing up there. But they also had history of video games, uh, just appreciation for the industry. There was a whole panel, I don't know if you saw this, but it was about women in the gaming industry that was a nice quiet corner with a bunch of uh, portraits and uh, spokespeople talking about how they're trying to increase and appreciate the women that are already in the industry uh it was it was just a very special place and i definitely given the opportunity would love to experience it again i i'm still processing over everything that i've been able to uh value there so far now for some of the the panels and the conferences that they had which one did you feel like 
was the best? So that's kind of a, a weighted question because E3 is on paper a three-day event, um, but they've been doing everything they can to juice every minute out of that, which includes cheating. Um, Nintendo was the only actual, um, I guess, press conference, you could call it. Um, they all had little variances on it, but it was the only one that was technically running where we had a ticket to even walk inside. Oh, yeah, because the other ones start a couple of days exactly. early to have their own day. This year, they started as early as Saturday, but the actual E3 event was Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, so, rather than seeing like some live super uh, press conference thing, because that's marketed much more towards all of the like journalists and things like that, like just getting a ticket into those is very much separate from the floor. Um, our experience was much more of like the fallout after that of like this was really cool that they announced like Thursday, and now there's a thousand people waiting in line trying to see that exact thing in person and get their hands on it. Um, and the opportunity that you would get to, to take advantage of any of those was this, like, super, super exciting moment. Um, Sony, for example, had an app that you could basically log in um, at certain times of the day and try and uh, basically say, like, I want to go check out this demo or I want to see more in-depth on this game, you know, behind their, like, hidden wall and stuff. But they would only have, in a, at any given time, maybe what, like 400 spots across oh, all of their options? That sold out within two seconds. It, you had about a 10-second window, so you had to pick the one you wanted and hope you got in. But the app would crash every single time because everyone at the event was doing this. Um, so it was just this, like, constant idea of, I don't have enough time to see everything. I'm going to do everything I can to see as much as I can. So one thing is uh, that a lot of people can't appreciate until you're really there most of the people there, including the game journalists, because they're at E3, they don't have a lot of time to digest all the news that's bombarding the internet even during the conference. In fact, you can walk up to some of the game journalists and you can bring up a headline and they won't know that that's happened yet because they're constantly making content while everything happens in the background. So I actually wasn't able to watch the conferences until I took the plane ride back home. Uh, having gone through that and even cheating because I'd gone through all the fallout afterwards, um, the hype inside of the uh, venue, there was a lot for Scorpio, but the big dampener for the Microsoft conference was a lot of the announcements were for 2018. And, uh, of course, people are really excited for the new hardware, but even just watching some of these interviews that they're doing, not a lot of people were willing to put that $500 forward yet. They're kind of waiting to see how it works out i remember growing up loving e3 and back when there used to be a tv channel called g4 when they would cover it so my butt was to the couch watching this and you see all these announcements but they were announcements for well there's two things that they do stuff that was going to be coming you knew pretty much christmas season but then there was the announcements of a full another year out and that always kind of upset me a little bit but then now it's turned into one year or two years now. It, stuff that's not even developed, but they want to just get the name out there, which it, it it's kind of disheartening to have... Ha, I'd rather not know about this and be surprised to be like, oh, I can play this in a couple months compared to the, now I need to wait a whole year when we've already heard about Scorpio last year and now we're hearing that we have to wait a whole another year. Why did you announce it last year? The hype, I felt, was less for the Xbox One X because... It would have been more hype had it been now, but then you kind of look at it too, these boxes and the graphics and everything, great. But what is it that I'm buying now that 
I would need to play. I want the games. So for the first time in a couple of years, it seems like the video game industry has come to a bit of a point of stability. For your core gamer who's willing to shell out all the money, it seems that the best investment they can do right now is to get a gaming PC uh, for their home console, a PlayStation 4, and for their handheld a Nintendo Switch, because that covers all three of your companies, uh, especially since Microsoft has announced that all of their core titles are going to also work on Windows 10. Um, and because of that, they're kind of pushing Scorpio something in the middle. It's for a niche audience, it's for the audience who doesn't feel comfortable playing on a PC, uh, but still wants the best uh, that they can push those pixels. Um, Was there any other big hardware besides that? Because I, I didn't read up on anything, but you guys were there. Um, PlayStation was trying to push their, their VR pretty heavy. I know that they released that within the last year or so, and... They, they had a good chunk uh, of the back of their section dedicated specifically to just, like, VR um, theaters, essentially, where, uh, for example, a couple friends of ours managed to get into that, like, day one on the, the app. They jumped on that immediately, and just um, one of the guys just was constantly raving about, like, how well uh, not just the VR experience was, because if you were paid attention in the past, PlayStation VR is very much an economy model, and so in locations there are little corners cut, but as a whole, it's a very rounded-off experience. Um, but he was talking about specifically how well-made the game itself was, where it was this little like puzzle platformer, but the camera is um, the VR. So he described it as basically looking at a table um, that you're playing on, and he was looking around, kind of moving his head and stuff. And one of the things that he really liked, uh, he said that he stood up and looked around the back of the character and realized that not only is all of that fully rendered and everything, but you can kind of see the edge of the world as it kind of fades off and had that kind of table experience and it very much solidified this concept of like, I'm tinkering with this world and they thought of the things that I want to try, which is like um, the, best, uh, the best way to kind of look at VR, someone had told me, is try to break it and if you can't, that's an immersive experience. Look where they didn't think you were going to and if they already thought of it, as far as like, well, if they do want to turn around, what do we put there? And then you're really in this environment. And PlayStation was trying to push that a lot, I think. So I, I would say that last year the big push was your HTC Vive, your Oculus Rift. Those kind of took the back seat this year. Uh, there were some really crazy VR techs we got to see, but they were in the most remote locations on the show floor. Far to the edge, hiding behind the other booths. Um, and, but some of the experiences there were still our favorites, like... Uh, the first thing we went to, because uh, our other cousin Nathan, who couldn't make it for this podcast, he loves VR. He's been following it for years now. And they had tactile holograms was one of the big tech things they were showing off there. Basically, they use sound waves to create pressure nodes in the air. So when you have your VR headset, you can see a shape and then feel that shape in the air in the virtual environment. Uh, they also had a really awesome roller coaster simulator that for at least the first few uh, jumps, you can uh, you can feel the butterflies in your belly. You feel exactly the same sensation you'd have on a no normal roller coaster. Yeah, I know that uh, you were on that and you walked off and your face was just beating with sweat when you're like, I motion sickness from literally sitting in a tilting chair, essentially. Oh, jeez. Now, besides hardware, the games, those are what a lot of people look forward to, and you guys got to play some of the new ones that are going to be coming out in the next year or so. 
Tell me about those. What were your favorites? What did you get your hands on? Oh, I uh, I like to think that I got a, a nice spread of both uh, some big titles and some small titles. Uh, and I just getting my hands on those early was awesome. Um, there were a few that I just didn't even bother trying to touch because it was like uh, Destiny 2, for example. I'm not really a Destiny fanboy. Um, it's just kind of off my radar. But I appreciate it what the game is. And I'm like, oh, it would have been really cool to play. But that would have been my entire experience for one of the days. The lines for that were incredible, and honestly, there was somebody there who wanted it more than me anyway. Um, but I did get a few really cool ones, like I got Battlefront 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2. Um, and I got to be in one of the last sessions of that, where it was a 32-person game of two teams holding off on a, one specific map, and it was this like shifting point. Um, and that game was a lot of fun. It goes back much better to the Battlefront that people wanted it to be. Um, which a lot of people were excited about. Um, I got uh, I got my hands on Nino Kuni 2, which is a game that I am looking forward to playing the first one for. But uh, they had a basically one big boss fight simulator for um, the the actual tech demo, and the game was hard. There was a lot to it. the The boss fight took a long time actually, if you were very careful, and that was actually part of the reason why it took so long in line. Like I stood there for an hour and a half just watching people do. Um, one of these two fights and just like waiting and hoping um, I got uh, Life is Strange Life is Strange yeah they, they announced Life is Strange 2 in some capacity I tried to go into the theater for it where they were showing off some details on it and they it was a press only I was oh. very disappointed you didn't try to sneak in uh, well, I tried to go in, and they turned me away, but that's actually how I found out about the Nino Kuni booth, so I'll take that as a win-loss kind of in the middle somewhere. Um, there was a... Um, there's a game me and a friend of mine really like called Dust in Elysium Tale, um, which is a, like, hack-and-slashy-esque Metroidvania title. Um, and there was a game very, very similar to that called Of Rice and Ruin, and I was very excited to see that. And it was very much just over there, and it was behind a much more prominent uh, title... But I was, like, keyed into that immediately. It was right by the door. I was like, I'm just watching people play that. Oh, um, didn't get to touch it. Some friends of ours did. But I uh, went to the theater for this game called Detroit um, Becoming Human. Yeah. Which is, if you're familiar with the Heavy Rain-style games, I believe it's actually the same uh, like developer. Yeah, same. That, when I saw uh, part of that for the press conference, seeing it online, is like it's almost like you can re-go multiple, like, map like tree like map for like how your decisions affect later on and you can redo the same situation yeah, exactly so it has um has a bit of like a heavy rain kind of control scheme where it's basically you're interacting with this film for lack of a better phrasing um but it has much more control over kind of this like constantly branching network and crossing as well it's not just splitting off into different directions um and i kind of got a very um uh, it was a game that came out about two years ago called Remember Me, where you basically go in and tinker at certain points, where you're messing with people's memories actively, and you're re-watching and replaying the scene while you're doing this and modifying things. And you can kind of do something similar in this game where uh, he'll analyze the surroundings, and it'll be things like they, in the tech demo I saw, they were he was looking at this police scanner that was circling the area. And he scans it and goes, okay, well, this is the pattern it's going. How do I take that out? And so he starts looking at different vantage points and he'll analyze it and say, oh, I can't reach it there. Okay, I'll go here. Analyze. Okay, I can reach it from here, but now I have to find a way up this scaffolding. And then that, uh, he initially did it one way and basically failed the mission. And then he went back through and he's like, or you could do this. And that's when he did all the scanning things and took this out. And then it completely changed. Like, he allowed, was allowed to continue the mission. And then the mission finishes and you basically have the option of 
send a message to the people, right? Because the premise behind the game is androids are becoming sentient. What does that mean for society? And you get your standard sci-fi backlash. Um, Nick, what'd you, what'd you get to play? Yeah, so uh, going off of the ones that he didn't cover so far, uh, I definitely spent a little bit of time in the Nintendo booth because it was just so overwhelming just to be there in general. Uh, I played the darling of the show, Super Mario Odyssey, which, hearkening back to Super Mario 64, it's exactly like uh, what you'd want. Uh, it's not exactly 64. They kind of go for the rose-tinted goggles uh, version of Super Mario 64, very much incorporate some of the best aspects of the games after that. Uh, one of my favorite games on the show floor was definitely Dragon Ball Fighter Z, uh, or Fighters. Nobody could really clarify exactly which <laughs> pronunciation it was. Um, but as far as just striking visuals for a fighting game, uh, the mechanics were great. Uh, it was beautiful to watch and to play. Uh, it's 3D, uh, 3v3 fighting, uh, very reminiscent of some of the Marvel uh, fighting games. Uh, and everyone was having a ball playing it, watching it. Everyone was surprised just to see uh, 2D Fighter getting all the press, uh, at least in the fighting game community. I played a different one, Pokken Fighters uh, DX, but that wasn't nearly as uh, great an experience. Um, trying to think some of my uh, other favorites on the show floor. Uh, Tristan here covered a couple of them. Um, yeah. All right, so as far it, as yeah. games, uh, now I know for a lot of comic book conventions, cosplay is a huge deal. Was it, you know, prolific there? Were there a lot of people dressed up or? Not really. Honestly, most people were just there for the games. There were a couple professional cosplayers there. Uh, one that really caught my attention were first the orcs that were hired for Shadow of War. Yeah, there was probably a good 10 of them walking around at different various times, I'd say. Oh, and they were hamming it up. They were making all sorts of orc gestures, uh, walking down the escalator just to get a bunch of pictures. Uh, one that I specifically saw, there was a really good cosplay of... Uh, it was a female doing a crossplay of uh, Link from Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild uh, from his Gerudo outfit where he uh, famously uh, cross-dresses. So that was... Uh, big highlight getting a lot of attention there was a fantastic god of war i saw sorry uh there was a fantastic god of war that uh i saw he was taking a bunch of pictures at uh at one point with one of the backdrops that they had set up basically for that purpose um and there was a number of those sitting around between you mentioned shadow of war uh, monster hunter had another one uh, one of the things that they did was uh, they have these. There's two or three big dragons, essentially. That was kind of like the, the the motif for big 3D models this year was put a dragon on and people show up and check it out. Um, but there were, you know, there were. I saw a Marvel vs. Capcom one, which, as far as I could tell, was like Ultron blended with some Capcom character, maybe. Um, and he's sitting on this big throne, and the thing was enormous. Uh, but yeah, no, the I would say I saw a couple of. Very obviously, like, fandom-esque cosplay things. But going in, I kind of expected it to kind of be much more on the lower tone compared to what you were saying, because E3 is kind of in this weird zone where we're the target audience to be there, but the convention is very much an expo. Like, it's not designed for us, mm -hmm. it's designed because of us, if that makes sense. Uh, and one of the biggest boons for that, obviously the reason they open it up to the public, one, because... Uh, getting QA testers in-house is always suspect to bias. 
getting the first impressions from gamers who have various levels of uh, experience is always great for the developers to get some of that first feedback. Uh, but the main thing is they know that we're going to come back from this convention and we're going to tell our friends about what our favorite thing from the show is. We're going to sit on a podcast like right now uh, and tell you guys just what a blast we had there. And that's definitely what it was curtailed for. They tried to make it so that we could interact with as much as possible in the best way possible. Uh, one thing, going back to the previous question, uh, one of the biggest surprises on the show floor for journalists, for players, for developers was definitely Mario Plus Rabbids Kingdom oh, yeah. Battle, which nobody saw coming outside of the leaks. Before the leaks, nobody thought this would have happened. Nobody thought it would have been nearly as good as it was as a strategy game starring Mario and the Raving Rabbids. I mean, come on. Uh, definitely a lot of XCON vibes. I don't. If anyone's a big fan of that series, you'll definitely love this. In fact, even the developer of XCON was being interviewed in front of us, and he loved the fact that he can finally play a game in that genre with his three younger daughters. Uh, and he, everyone was surprised with both the depth of the gameplay and just the passion that the creators put into this game. So definitely a highlight of the show. Oh, absolutely. Um, and like you said, it was complete blindsight. I was, I was listening to people's responses to it and I was like, I don't know where it came from, but it looks fantastic. Now, uh, besides the show, you guys also got up to some other nerdy stuff, um, like SpaceX. Of course. That is pretty sweet. You guys yeah. got a tour there. Yes, we did, and that was uh, that was incredible. Um, we had a friend that works there, and he got us kind of an inside look at their, their production facility. So you saw the Terminators being built? Uh, no comment. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, there was a Terminator model full-scale inside of the SpaceX facility, Unlike NASA, because it's a private company, they get to have a little bit more fun. They had a uh, inflatable alien at the command module. One of their uh, supercomputers was called Cyberdyne, I believe. They had a Jurassic Park uh, lab that was off limits. Uh, it was it was a crazy experience, and uh, one of the more surprising facts was because it's in downtown LA, land is expensive. So you're looking at all these projects, and they're about four inches separated from each other and on top of each other it was crazy but also because it's a public uh facility or a private facility they were able to show us everything it was uh definitely overwhelming yeah that was excellent um and then you mentioned uh being around town one of the other ones that was really cool our last night there we got to go to a uh, a friend of ours took us to a comedy show we were there um and it's at a apparently relatively popular kind of key venue, which was um, right behind Nerd Melt Comics, which was this comic shop um, right off of like Hollywood Boulevard. It was probably like half a mile or so. Yeah. And uh, it was it was really cool. We didn't realize going in how how much of a key location this was um, because it's actually where they filmed the Nerdist podcast. Um, and I was kind of just like hanging out after the comedy show when we were talking. And I realized like, oh, there's a Nerdist logo over there. And Nick here was just like, yeah, they film it up there. I kind of was like blown away because that's something that I don't think uh, anyone with my level of connectivity to like the gaming world wouldn't recognize. And it's just in the back room of this, you know, uh, comic book shop. And we were literally walking around it for like an hour just looking at stuff. It was just your standard dingy comic book shop. In fact, it was smaller and less well put together than a lot of the ones you'd find here in Michigan. Uh, it looked like some mom and pop shop, but. You get back there and there's a full studio, professional cameras, uh, soundboard, and uh, when we actually got in to go watch the show, 
which was put on by the friend of our friend at SpaceX. Uh, she was uh, dressed up as Zelda. It was a or Link. Wow. That's a big I, faux pas. I can't do that. I, I can't do that. I apologize. I'm sorry, audience. Um, so she was dressed up as Link. She wanted to make this show about her diary, diary she'd written back when she was 13 about her first experience playing Ocarina of Time. And of course, she'd interlude every one of her guests with a nice uh, entry from her diary. But some of the guests that she had on here for her first show was incredible. There were some really big ticket comics. Apparently, like she talked about how she found a few of them, and it was like very renowned comics in the LA area, which apparently is a particularly cutthroat comedy scene. And she was like, "Yeah, I got them all together, and you know, it was really hard booking this stage." Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, is there any last like thing that you want to just say about the convention or your trip? Because I know I don't want to keep you guys from. Our family gathering, which sounds like a convention in the background because we have that many people in our yeah, family. Yeah, uh, expect, if you can hear that coming through, just turn that all the way up and then add a lot of woo, and you pretty much got it. Yeah. I would definitely recommend going to E3 if you get the opportunity. Yes, the ticket is a couple hundred dollars, but the experience that you'll get there is something that you can't replicate even at your PAXs or your, uh, your Comic-Cons. It's just its own unique experience uh, that you definitely can't even convey over this podcast. So guys, thank you so much for uh, giving us your insight on this. Um, you guys got any words of wisdom to leave uh, listeners? Yeah. Link. <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, just stay thirsty for gaming. Excellent. <laughs>